All right, good morning. Great to be together here this morning. First and foremost, Children's Church. So if you are between the ages of two and five, then you want to head on out to the back and uh, we want to bless you as you spend time together um, downstairs. And blessings on the leaders and the volunteers. So, Pat, uh, where is Pat? There you are. Uh, were there lots of hands up I, when they did this K-Tech uh, scraper pull? Like, pretty much everybody here? Just me. That's going to be a big, big problem. Uh, I invite you to let me know, because we would love to uh, have fun doing that together again. Actually, I think we could spiritualize that pretty easily. Um, because uh, pulling something like that by myself, how much further do I need to go? I think it's a pretty good illustration of church. And, uh, and so absolutely I want to be a part of that, but I want to be a part of that together with uh, you, uh, many of you. And so looking forward to that. A lady went to her pastor and said, uh, Pastor, I won't be going to your church anymore. The pastor responded, but why? The lady said, ah, I saw a woman gossiping about another member, a man that is a hypocrite. The worship team living wrong, people looking at their phone during service, among so many other things that are wrong in your church. The pastor replied, okay, but before you go, do me one favor. Take a full glass of water, And walk around the church three times without spilling a drop on the ground. Afterwards, leave the church if you so desire. The lady thought, too easy. She grabbed the glass, filled it with water, and she walked three times around the church as the pastor had asked without any problem. When she finished, she told the pastor, I am ready to leave. The pastor said, before you leave, I want to ask you one more question. When you were walking around the church, did you see anyone gossiping? No, said the lady. Did you see any hypocrites? No, said the lady. Anyone looking at their phones? No, said the lady. You know why I asked the pastor? No, said the lady. Because you were focused on your own glass. You were focused to make sure that you wouldn't stumble and spill any water. It's the same with our lives. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, we don't have time to see the mistakes of others. We will reach out a helping hand to them and concentrate on our own walk with Jesus. I thought it was kind of cool. Not at all convinced that it's a true story, making my confession right off the bat. Uh, But I think it's a pretty cool story. certainly connects with me, having spent much of my life in some way, shape, or form in church leadership and for the last almost 20 years as a pastor. A story like that does connect with me because, for one thing, I want you all to want to be here. I want you all to like the rest of the people that are here together with you. And I want you all to like the way we do things here. It also connects with me because over the years I have often talked with people that are at various stages of being discontent with the church that they find themselves in. From time to time, that's been our church. 
And sometimes it's been, many times it's been another church. So that aspect of the story quickly grabs my attention. And I think the pastor in the situation was rather clever, if indeed it was a true story. Which, like I said earlier, I'm not at all convinced of because I'm not sure any pastor is actually that clever. Although the idea of changing churches is or not going to a specific church anymore uh, quickly kind of grabs our attention when we read that story. I don't really want to focus on that part of the story at all this morning. What I want to focus on is the other part of the story, the part about focusing on your glass of water. I can't help but showing you this little quote. It's up here. I came upon it while I was looking for an appropriate picture to depict this woman in this illustration. And I found the quote. And so if you'd advance the slide to the next uh, one there, Noah, that would be great. Uh, I thought it was kind of appropriate. Um, I've certainly tried to be more consciously aware of that in my own life in the past several years as I've been on a journey to try to be less critical uh, of other people. And, um, and so I thought it was, it was appropriate, although I'm not totally sure how applicable. So I thought I would show it to you and then we'd keep moving. The part of the story that I want to, the story that I shared earlier with you that I want to focus on very specifically this morning is about you and kind of your glass of water. Um, you learning to do life and as you do life to be doing life with a focus uh, on Jesus. Focusing on your walk with Jesus, focusing on yourself and your obedience to Jesus, focusing on you and your hearing the Holy Spirit and your willingness to serve Jesus, maybe by serving the people around you, whether that's in church or in the community or at your school or at your place of work or wherever. What are you focused on? I can't help but think about uh, the illustration that we had here. I think it's two years ago by now when Sean Diamond brought his dog in and we had Sean and his dog up on stage here. And, and I don't know if I've ever seen a more clear depiction of what it looks like when somebody or something, uh, a dog in this case, is focused on someone. There was just, this dog had never been in this church building before had never been around almost all of us here, maybe none of us before, and it was only the dog, and the dog was oblivious to all of you people out there. It was oblivious to its surroundings. It was just completely focused on Sean Diamond, uh, its master. To me, that's an incredible picture, an extreme illustration uh, of what, it's, what we're thinking about or talking about when we speak about focusing on Jesus. There's all kinds of scripture passages that we could use to kind of help us with this, but I want to begin by drawing your attention to a short little phrase in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where it speaks about this kind of an intent, unwavering 
focus. The best that we can figure, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of of fairly new Christians, new Christians that were from a a Jewish or a traditional uh, background. And so they came from this background with a a very strict and rigid and and systematic way of, of living out their faith. And in all likelihood, many of us would be able to, in some way, kind of identify with them. They They had parents, they had brothers, they had sisters and friends and uncles and aunts and definitely Jewish priests that were still all caught caught in that old system of trying to earn their salvation by doing all the right things and being obedient to a system. And so these young Christians, they were trying to learn what it meant to not focus on all the periphery stuff but actually be focused on, to be focused on Jesus. And Jesus only. And yet they were being tugged by the people that I already mentioned and by their old way of thinking and their old way of life. They were being tugged to keep on looking sideways at all the periphery stuff, much of which was good and okay, but they were being tempted to continue to focus on the periphery. And so into that context, to these kind of of new Christians that were dealing with this kind of stuff, Paul writes these words, In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep on looking at Him. Keep on looking straight ahead. Don't look at all the stuff around you. Focus on your glass of water. That's what matters. Many years ago, when we talked about this chapter of the Bible here in our church, as we were going through the book of of Hebrews a little more systematically, uh, some of you may remember we had Ron Peters up on stage here with his his dirt bike. And we used motocross as an illustration of some of the truths in chapter 12 of Hebrews. For good reason, because if you back up one verse into verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12, it actually uses that illustration. It talks about running with perseverance the race. That is marked out for us. I actually think that that's kind of a key thought in this whole chapter is kind of illustrating the fact that life is a race that we are on. And then it uses all kinds of different imagery, racing imagery, to help us kind of grasp what life is really all about. And one of those images that it uses is this concept of fixing your eyes on something. And so we asked Ron about that when it comes to motocross. How crucial is it if you are in a race that you stay focused on what is ahead and not looking to the left or to the right? And he was very clear, and you can all imagine, he he was very, if you want to have any chance of competing, if you want to have any chance at all of completing the race, then you must be absolutely 100% focused on what is coming ahead. You cannot for a moment glance sideways or allow your, your mind or your vision to be taken, taken sideways to things that might be around you. It's all about staying focused on what is ahead. It's one of the most amazing things to me in all of sports, actually. Uh, some of you will have witnessed this personally, and some of you may have seen it on TV, and some of you will have to use your imagination. But for me, it's one of the most amazing things in all of sports to watch is actually the beginning of a motocross race And you've got 20, 30, sometimes 40 bikes lined up in a row. And uh, the flag goes up or the gates go down, whichever way they start the race. 
and all 30 or 40 bikes are heading for that first corner. And it's all coming to one little corner. And it just, every time I see that, it just boggles my mind. And, and time and time again, it's the racer that spends absolutely no mental energy and no visual energy on looking at anything sideways. And all he is, is he's zoned in on that spot in that corner where he's driving for. And time and time again, it's those racers that come out in the front of the pack. Because they are just completely focused on that one spot. If you take a look at this picture, uh, I hope you can see it clear enough. How many of those helmets are turned sideways? Not a single one. Ah, there is one, Dave. You've got to have better eyes than I do. Uh, he's definitely not at the front of the pack if he is turned side. Oh, he's on his side. There you go. Uh, it just doesn't happen. If you want to compete in motocross, you cannot look sideways. And so we use that as an illustration of the terminology that Paul uses here in Hebrews chapter 12. Fix your eyes on Jesus. If you want to run, do the race of the spiritual life, then it is essential that we remain focused on Jesus. Focused on what is ahead. And don't let all that periphery stuff what other people do and what they don't do and how they sin and how they don't sin and the rules and the regulations and the system and the expectations. You cannot, we cannot allow all that other stuff to distract us. Fix your eyes only on Jesus. Today, in whatever situation you are in, whatever you're doing today, whatever you are, wherever you are on the track, stay focused. Fix your eyes on Jesus. When it comes to vehicles uh, and uh, vehicle accidents, the leading cause uh, is still um, alcohol. But gaining fast is distracted driving. I'll give you just a minute to uh, read the little comic. Focusing on something smaller and less important and subsequently losing focus or forgetting altogether about what really matters. I'm in no way picking on anyone here uh, about the distracted driving thing. I I'm just stating an objective fact. Distracted driving is another illustration of what we are talking about here this morning. Distracted driving in the church. Distracted driving in your Christian life, paying attention to all the other stuff and finding out that you totally neglected what really matters. So, what are some things that can so easily distract us? We'll just take a look at a couple, and I'm convinced that there would be countless others, but here's just a few. For starters, we need to mention uh, kind of the one that, that is very specifically kind of focused on throughout the book of Hebrews. Um, we can easily become distracted by trying to get the system all right. Now, systems in and of themselves are, are not bad. Having a way that we do things that's not in and of itself a bad thing. Uh, what is bad is when we begin to focus on the system and we forget about what it's really all about. Many of us, me included, uh, come from some type of a fairly traditional background where systems 
held a fair amount of power. And I think it's fair to say that we often struggle with knowing how to be okay with a system, but not caught on focusing on the system. I'm going to be honest, as, as a pastor and a leader in the church, uh, I'm pumped about our church. And I am pumped about how we do things in our church. And, and we do things in our church in a way that, that we think because of where we're at in this point in time and in this location and with the gifts and abilities and resources that we have, we think we're doing things the right way here. But the moment I say that, I've probably crossed the line already. And I'm probably guilty of distracted driving. I'm, I'm probably already not focusing enough on the glass of water. I'm probably racing without having my eyes fixed on Jesus. And I will be the first to admit that this is a hard one for me. It's hard to know how to do this right, how to, how to balance this properly. And I'm completely convinced that Jesus and the rest of the Bible challenges us strongly not to get all caught up with focusing on a system. But I struggle with knowing exactly how to keep that in its rightful place while at the same time trying to have an active, thriving, life-giving church family. So I'll be honest. It's easy for me to get, get distracted by the system. Number two. Uh, let's pick up on our first illustration the one that we started off with this morning. It's easily to, easy to get distracted by being critical of others. So-and-so is looking at their cell phone too much during the church service, and so-and-so is not wearing the right kind of clothing, and so-and-so didn't smile at me and say hi to me in church last week, and so-and-so doesn't keep their kids quiet enough during the church service, and that person should get their hair cut, and that person should get their beard cut, and on and on and on. It's so incredibly easy to be critical of other people. It's so incredibly easy to become a distracted driver, not focusing on your glass of water, and the devil absolutely loves it. It's one of his tactics that he has used over and over and over and over throughout the centuries of the Christian church is to get people to look at other people and to become critical of them and to allow that to distract them from focusing on what really matters in the context of our spiritual journeys. Matthew chapter 7 verse 2. In the same way that you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then a verse later, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? I remember doing a frustrating job at one point in my previous um, life, I sometimes say, when I was in full-time construction. We were covering an old hog barn with plastic so that it would become a greenhouse for hothouse tomatoes. And so we had these huge 60 by 200 sheets of poly that we were pulling up and over top of these barns, rafters, and, um, and then we needed to somehow tighten them and secure them. And so we had developed this little system of, of um, cutting strips of plywood and then we would wrap a little bit of this poly on the end of that plywood and then we would pull on it as hard as we could and then we would jam it up underneath the eave of the rafter and then we would put screws through that plywood strip 
into the, into the wall and we would secure the poly that way. And I remember being up on a scaffold together with the guy that I was working with and, and we were struggling with this one section and we were trying to get it jammed up into there so that we could get our screws into there so that this whole thing would be tight and we were trying while the wind is, is working on it and playing with it and, and all of a sudden I saw that the problem was that he had, a, a, there was a little nail right in front of him. There was a little finish nail that was sticking out of the wall for some reason. And, uh, and he hadn't seen it and he was trying to get it jammed into there and it wasn't working. And, and in a rather um, annoyed tone, I said, there's a nail in front of you. And then he said, uh, pointed to me and he said, and there's also one in front of you. And I looked and here was this long five-inch Ardux nail sticking out right in front of me and I was trying to jam this piece of wood into there and there was a little finish nail sticking out in front of him and I had seen that all right and I had completely missed this five-inch Ardox nail that was pointing out at me. That's just a little illustration of, of what we're talking about here. Um, it's so easy. It's so easy to see what everybody else is doing wrong and it's so easy to get caught up with that and it's so easy to become a distracted driver in the context of the church and living our Christian lives, we can easily become distracted. Number three, we can easily be distracted by focusing on our tastes, uh, focusing on having my tastes and my likes being met. Someone called my brother in his pastor's office and said they were new to the area and they were looking for a church. And they were wondering if their church still sang hymns. My brother simply asked them if that was their, key words, biggest concern when looking for a church. The person rather confidently replied, yes. And my brother simply said, then you will probably not be happy in our church. And the other person hung up the phone and continued their church for a hymn singing, continued their search for a hymn-singing church. The assumption the other person made was that my brother's church did not sing hymns anymore. That's actually not true at all. Their church still often sings hymns. What my brother, brother said was, if that is your biggest concern, then you will probably not be happy in our church. I actually thought my brother was a pretty clever pastor at that moment. Because I think, I wouldn't always give him that credit, by the way. But I think he got it right this time. Because he pointed out the fact that when we become distracted by our likes and our tastes, then we become distracted drivers that are very difficult to deal with. It's very easy to be a distracted driver. Not a good so choice of songs this morning. Too loud, too quiet, too slow, too fast, too old, too new, not my style, on and on and on. And singing is just one illust illustration. Now let me just stop there for a moment and be very clear. I have been incredibly blessed by you, our church family. When I speak to some of my pastor friends and I hear them talk about the amount of verbal discontent in their church when it comes to the singing, uh, I am incredibly humbled because I cannot relate. You people are incredible. 
I know that you don't totally connect every Sunday morning with every style of music and worship singing that we have here, and yet you do your best to engage. You try your best to participate, or you simply sit there quietly if it's not totally your style or your song. I believe many of you have made conscious decisions to focus on what really matters rather than on your own tastes and having all of your own likes met all the time. If you want to stay in the race, stop looking at all the stuff around you. Focus on the glass of water that you are carrying. Now stay with me for a few more minutes while we look briefly at what we should focus on. We've already said, fix your eyes on Jesus. In so doing, what would Jesus have you focus on? And here's again just a couple of suggestions, and not at all an exclusive list. I invite you to complete the list on your own during the course of the week. Um, number one, helping to meet the needs of others. Uh, I like the story of William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. In the early 1900s, when he was already very old and quite ill, and the mission was, of course, like usual, short on money, he wanted to send a Christmas message to all the members of the Salvation Army around the world. Of course, in that day and age, the message needed to be sent via telegraph, and so he knew he needed to keep it short. And so his message that particular year contained one word. The word was, others. He sent the message to all the Salvation Army members around the world. One word, others. Focus on others. Now, at the outset, that sounds almost contradictory to what we just finished saying, but I think if you stick with me here, you'll see the significant difference. Take time to see others, their needs, their struggles, their heartaches, their joys, their accomplishments and successes. Live in the successes and accomplishments and struggles of others, not just consumed with and captivated with your own. See them and rejoice with them when they rejoice and cry with them when they cry. Others. See others. Paul said, in humility consider others. You'll find that in Romans chapter 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Be willing to associate with everyone without showing favoritism. And on and on and on. Become passionate about the needs of others. And maybe we can just quickly add here, focusing on the extending of God's grace to others. Being so overwhelmed by the way God has poured out His grace on you that you become passionate about pouring out and extending that same grace onto others. And maybe we can also add the word generosity. Not just grace, but also genera living with the mission of pouring out generosity and grace on other people instead of criticism and control. Number two, on the flip side of what we mentioned earlier, Rather than focusing on the faults and the sins and the problems of others, how about focusing on taking a good look at your own? I have a friend who sometimes, when the conversation begins to turn kind of towards uh, being critical of somebody else or negative about others and other people's and churches' ways of doing things, he'll say something to the effect of, uh, you know what, I have plenty enough of my own issues to take care of to be worrying about the imperfections of others. 
I kind of like that. I know that that can be taken too far. I, I'm not trying to go there this morning, but, but I, I kind of like the principle of this. I've got plenty enough of my own imperfections to take care of to be so concerned about the imperfections and the sins of others. The log and the speck in the eye, a principle that we already mentioned before in Matthew chapter 7. Thirdly, uh, maybe the most important one, I, I, well, not maybe, it is the most important one. It's the one that kind of drove all of this to begin with. Um, there's quite a few psalms that highlight David's passionate desire to walk with God. And so a focus, an unbending, unwavering focus of fixing your eyes on Jesus. Attaching your eyes to Jesus. It's almost like this, uh, I'm not a big military jet kind of guy, and I don't know exactly how all of that uh, stuff works, but if I understand it correctly, then, uh, then, then there's a way of pressing a button and, uh, and whatever you're zoomed in on that moment, it will continue to be zoomed in as your uh, armor takes off from your jet, and it'll, it'll follow that object. And it won't, it won't shoot it in a straight line. It'll follow that object, and if that object dips or turns, whatever you shot is actually, it's so zoomed in, the radar is punched, and once the radar is punched, there's nothing that can, nothing, I know, I know, in, in the extreme sense, there are things that can distract it. But, but for the purpose of the illustration, it becomes so focused or so attached to the object that nothing can distract it. It will hit the object that it is pinpointed to hit. Fix your eyes on Jesus. David passionately desired for that to be reality in his own life. Uh, some of those verses were already in the bulletin in Psalm chapter uh, 42 or Psalm chapter 27. You'll also find it in Psalm chapter 42. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Does that mean that David was perfect? Far, far, far from it. Uh, David was, had huge issues in his life. And yet he took the time over and over to remind himself again, but really, what I really, 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 really want is to walk with Jesus, to walk with God, to live with His Holy Spirit, to be in communication with His Holy Spirit. David expresses that desire over and over and over. And in the New Testament, you'll see Paul saying something similar in Philippians chapter 3. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. All the periphery stuff get aside. I want to connect with Jesus. I want to walk with the Holy Spirit. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The next line in that original verse that we were talking about in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one that authors your faith. He came up with the idea. He is the one that wrote the book. He's the author. 
And Jesus is the one that will, if you give him a chance, if you keep your eyes focused on him, if you continue to look at your glass of water, he's the one, the way a well-trained dog focuses on his master, and the way you watch your full glass of water when you're carrying it, and the way a winning motocross rider will head into that first corner, Jesus will also work at perfecting your faith. Only fix your eyes on Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing a closing song out of uh, hymn 37.